This is Beyond Ag, a podcast dedicated to intellectual conversations with leaders and influencers of agriculture. I'm your host, Isaiah Pruitt. Today's episode is sponsored by LaRue Carey Insurance. Today we have with us Dr. Tony Brannon, who is the Dean of the Hudson School of Agriculture at Murray State University. How are you doing today, Dr. Brannon? I'm doing great. Doing great. Uh, Pleasure to join you and uh, appreciate what you do. So one thing I always like to ask um, every leader and um, innovator in agriculture is what is your job? Um, So in your case, what is your job as Dean of the Hudson School of Agriculture at Murray State? Man, that's a good question, and I'm not sure there's an answer. It depends on who you'd ask, and be might be might be what you would get on that. So, uh, uh, I am the dean of agriculture here at Murray State, and I think it's important uh, to not that I get hung up on titles, but uh, a dean at a regional university of agriculture is a little bit unusual because uh, in most places you'll find agriculture at a regional university to be a department, but because of the emphasis that our uh, that our university puts on agriculture. We are a school of agriculture, which is more than a department, and they further that recognition by creating the, the position of dean. We only became a school in uh, 2000. We did not have a dean then. We had a director, and in 2004, our director left, and I became dean of the Hudson School of Agriculture, and I'm the only one we ever had. So uh, I've, had a, I've had a chance to, uh, to be in that position, and uh, have seen it evolved uh, over the amount of time. The dean of the Hudson School of Agriculture is actually, it's kind of an entrepreneur's job. Uh, number one, the best part of my job is to work with students. Students are our best asset, and we put a lot of emphasis on students. So I don't want to ever get removed from that. In some places, the dean might not have as much involvement with students. They might have other staff and faculty that do that. But I very much value my association with students. and. And I work with the Ag Leadership Council, which is like the student council of agriculture here. We have freshman reps, we have club reps on that, and we meet every Wednesday morning at 7.30. And uh, I can count on on, uh, the fingers of my hand the number of meetings that I've missed. So I really, really appreciate that and, uh, and, and value that as the number one part of my job. In addition to that, we have obviously an academic function and the dean would be over all the academics I serve along with the other deans of the university. But uh, I do have a great assistant dean, Dr. Brian Parr, that really has helped me academically and kind of leads those programs. Then we have some department chairs that uh, that do that. In addition to the dean's job uh, in academics, we have a lot of facilities here. Uh, a lot of people may not know this, but one of our biggest operations at Hudson School of Ag is the Breathitt Vet Center. And the Breathitt Veterinary Center is in Hopkinsville. And uh, it is one of the two diagnostic labs in the state. And it's under it's under the Murray State Hudson School of Agriculture. So Dr. Reed and Mr. Lawrence and all of them over there do a great job in animal diagnostics, animal disease diagnostics, food safety in Kentucky. And they're part of our organization. So I, I kind of umbrella, they're umbrellaed under the, the dean's office here at Murray State. And then we have the West Kentucky Expo and we have we have now five different farms, and uh, that, that they're here to support our students, and uh, uh, they all have their, their strengths, and they all have their problems that uh, pop up just like everything else does in agriculture, and so we have a lot going on. It's a lot different than most deans who just simply have uh, four or five academic programs, and they all they have to do is worry about computers or chairs, 
but we got to worry about beef and swine and and horses and and diagnostics and academic programs and facilities and budgets and and those type things. So it's it's a quite a um, quite a unique position, but it also I said it's an entrepreneur, and that lets you uh, kind of concentrate on what you uh, uh, what you want to concentrate on. And I've really concentrated on leadership, not only on campus but across the state, and being involved with the Kentucky Ag Council being involved with other leadership organizations and leadership opportunities and, and even trying to drive some, some new crop opportunities in our region and across the state in uh, the two focus areas right now being agrotechnology and being hemp. So actually you mentioned hemp, hemp and that is what I wanted to talk about next is Murray State has been known as one of the national leaders in hemp research. And they actually have a research facility dedicated to doing that. Um, so you, can you tell us a little bit about Murray State's involvement in that and some things, um, some different advancements maybe that, you know, that research has made? Sure. Uh, and I'd like to say we've been involved in hemp from the beginning because I give a, a great deal of credit on getting hemp started in Kentucky to former commissioner and now Congressman James Comer. Uh, uh, Congressman Comer was an FFA member and and uh, was state president, but he became commissioner and he kind of staked his future on him and a new crop opportunity for Kentucky agriculture. And he called me one day and he said, Tony, if we get this hemp legalized, then I want you and Murray State to work on it. And I said, yes, sir, commissioner, we're, we're ready. And I didn't think he would ever call back. And he called me one day and he said, uh, uh, Tony, this uh, hemp bill just became legally federal. Uh, do you want to get some seeds? And uh, I was like, uh, sure, sure. And I hung up the phone and I got the uh, Google out and uh, Googled hemp production. And what does that mean? <laughs> you know, nobody knew. Nobody knew exactly what it meant. But uh, we didn't say no. We said yes. Our administration said, yeah, go for it. And uh, I've said this all along. We're looking at, at providing another tool in the toolbox for, uh, for, for uh, uh, farmers in our region. And quite an interesting story uh, is uh, our local newspaper uh, knew about this and they kept um, kept questioning me, are you going to work with him? Are you going to work with him? And I knew what a big PR and media, you, you have a blog and you know how things can escalate. And I, I was really worried about the, the PR that we would get from that. So I wouldn't answer his question. And uh, finally, one day the commissioner came to Rotary and got up and told Rotary that if, if it become legal, Murray State would... Uh, would work with it. And he called me and I wouldn't give him any comment. And he kept calling and he called me about a tobacco field day. And I was talking to him about tobacco, which is a dark tobacco, which is another mainstay crop in our area. And he said, well, what about hemp? And he got me frustrated. And I said, John, let me tell you this. If hemp ever becomes a legal crop and it has an opportunity for farmers in our region to add to their economic prosperity, why would we not work with it? Sure, we would work with it. So he writes an article the next day in the Murray Ledger in Times that Dean of Agriculture Tony Brandon says Murray State would work with him. The AP picked it up. It was in the San Francisco Chronicle. It was in the Miami Herald. It was in five TV stations across Kentucky that Murray State was going to work with him. So uh, it was a media driver at the time. You said him, and it got everybody uh, fired up, you know. Well, um, we, we, we got seeds. We planted the first seeds in the United States, was right here at Murray, Kentucky. They came through customs in Louisville. Customs confiscated everybody else's seeds. Why they let ours go through, I don't know. 
We got ours on May the 12th, uh, 2014. And a graduate student, Jeremiah Johnson, a 4-H agent, and Samantha Anderson, uh, they were graduate students. They went to KDA and picked up the seeds and brought them back to Murray. They got here at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. By 7 o'clock, we had, we had uh, planted them. About 8 o'clock, Commissioner Comer called me, and he said, Tony, you might want to hold off on planting those seeds. Uh, the DEA is confiscated them. And I said, Commissioner, if they want our seeds, they can come get them out of the ground one seed at a time. You know, they're already planted. So uh, we've been working with it since then. And uh, not a week goes by that we don't have somebody come and visit us. Uh, in to to work with that, we created a Center for Agricultural Hemp, which is the, the uh, organization that you talked about, because we just wanted to put forth, kind of finalize that effort that we're working with. And it's simply nothing but me and Dr. Parr and one, uh, one worker, Mallory Snyder, uh, working with industry. And industry comes to us and they want us to work on research project. They're able to fund some of that. Then we have... Uh, we have a, a unique opportunity to work with uh, with hemp. So we're now going into, I guess, year number seven of growing hemp. And uh, we've learned a lot. We've had some failures. We've had some successes. We continue to work on it. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it's a, it, why do we do it? Uh, people have asked me about it. And uh, I, I just want to uh, talk a, a, a little bit about that. Number one, for helping farmers maybe have another income, but Early on, we had a pair of graduates, Jerry and Julie Gillum, that have a daughter that had Ikea syndrome, and she had multiple seizures a day. Matter of fact, hundreds of seizures a day. And uh, through some through some treatment, she become uh, on some CBD type trials, and it reduced those seizures quite a bit. So I've said all along, if we could be growing a crop that could help the life, uh, uh, provide some degree of quality of life for a young person that might not have had it through work at Murray State, particularly for our alumni, why would we not work with it? So, Sisk actually, uh, over in Christian County, uh, kind of uh, recognized that, and, and he's made a seed donation to create the Clara Gillum Fund for Excellence. There's actually Clara's bill in Kentucky that allows research with CBD. And so, uh, he established the Clara Gillum Fund for Excellence here at Murray State, and it is sole purpose is to support our Center for Agricultural Hemp. So we, we've discussed now uh, the advancements that Murray State has made in hemp research, and it's quite moving uh, to hear the drive is to make the quality of life better, even just for young people. Um, so moving forward, I mean, with those advancements, what are some more advancements now in 2021 that Kentucky farmers uh, can make and will make while farming hemp? Yeah, and I, I wouldn't pretend that it's been a smooth road. It's been a pretty rocky road. Uh, we've had... We had too much expansion too quick. We had too many promises that people couldn't deliver on. We had some companies that went bankrupt. We had some companies that had contracts. So not as not all has been rosy, but I'm still, I'm still, as they say, they kid me about sometimes, I'm still pretty high on hemp. But uh, we have a, actually, we got to look at all the uses of hemp and it's not just CBD. We actually have a hemp wood uh, um, organization, a, a company right here in Murray, Kentucky. They were attracted to Murray State because of, to Murray, because of Murray State and our work with hemp. Uh, and they're producing uh, 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 hemp uh, flooring, hemp uh, siding, hemp tables, picture frames, hemp uh, uh, materials out of hemp rather than wood. Uh, six months to grow a, a hemp plant versus uh, six, 60 years to grow a, a, an oak tree, you know. So uh, uh, it's very much a sustainability issue. And and there are, there are some advancements, and that's in fiber hemp, 
uh, I think there's a, we had Colin Peterson, the head of the U.S., uh, uh, former chairman of the House Ag Committee, uh, uh, since uh, was uh, defeated in his elections, not there anymore. But he came in and he said, Tony, there's a future in fiber hemp. We got to be we got to be focusing on this. So uh, we're looking at varieties. We're looking at usage. We're looking at compositions. We're looking at fiber hemp for packaging materials, fiber hemp for bioplastics and that type thing. So that's one area. Another area that I think is wide open is feed additives. Uh, we, we, we pioneered some research in working with uh, poultry and uh, we fed some uh, hemp seed, hemp oil, hemp, hemp uh, ingredients into our poultry feed and found that the meat and the eggs was higher in omega-3s and omega-6s. So uh, right now you can't legally feed hemp. You can go down to Kroger and you can buy hemp hearts to put on your salad but we can't feed them to our chickens or hogs. Now tell me that makes a lot of sense. And uh, some people said, well, the reason that there's two premises there, one is humans are smart enough to put it in, know what to put in their body. And number two, animals are not. And I said, well, I don't know about premise number or, or an individual was answering that, that I was talking to. And he said, I don't know about premise number one, but premise number two, uh, or premise number two, but premise number one's wrong. People don't always discern what's uh, safe to put in their body. But um, uh, it's a matter of chicken or egg, which come first. We got to have some research to prove that that feed additive can be healthy and can be safe. And then hopefully we'll get that directive removed and be able to be legal. So uh, we, we've worked on some irrigation studies, some uh, soil additives. Uh, uh, we've we come a long way in our knowledge of, of uh, how we can grow hemp and and, uh, and, and those type of things, we got a long way to go. It's kind of like soybeans in the 1960s. Uh, we grew soybeans on my home farm for, for hay as a forage crop. And that's because we didn't have combines. They didn't know it was a good livestock feed and whatever. Now we've had 60 years of research, 70 years of research and uh, uh, soybeans that's brought us to where it is today is one of our most important crop, not only in the nation in Kentucky, but across the nation, across the world. We need to catch up with research on him. Well, that is that is quite. Um, it really is interesting, and it is quite awesome that you know, in such a short amount of time, relatively in in seven years, that there's been enough research so we can prove it's it's healthy enough to be put into the human body. And I, I can't wait to see what the next ten to twenty years looks like for advancements in in animal feed. Um, so let's transition to uh, Dr. Brandon and his life. Let's talk about when did your journey in agriculture begin. Well, it may be boring to other people, but it's, it is what it is to me. So, hey, I grew up on a on a family farm. They said I was born and raised. And I say I'm born and raised, and and they say I cut my teeth on the steering wheel of a Model B Alice Chalmers tractor. Uh, Commissioner Ryan Quarles and I have that uh, that background in, in common. But uh, I had the opportunity to grow up ten miles south of Murray, just across the state line into Tennessee. That's my family farm. Uh, it was never a question of uh, wh where I was going to go to school. I was going to come to Murray State. I was active in FFA, and I actually served as a state FFA officer in Tennessee And uh, uh, while I was a Murray State student. I graduated from Murray State, and uh, I always said I didn't want to teach, but what did I end up doing? I ended up teaching, and I've been teaching ever since. So I went down to a little community down in Trenton, Tennessee, and taught at Peabody High School, taught agriculture education, was FFA advisor, had a lot of success, some of the best kids. If I'd have wanted to keep teaching high school, that's where I'd have wanted to teach. Um, either that or I wanted to come back home. My high school ag teachers wouldn't retire at the time. So uh, I went to Oklahoma State 
packed up everything in the back of my dad's four-wheel drive truck and went to Stillwater, Oklahoma. I got my PhD. And uh, actually, a year before I graduated, there was a position opened at Murray State, and they hired me back here at my alma mater. And I've been here since 1988. I'm in my 33rd year here. I advanced through the ranks as assistant associate professor and then professor and became chair of agriculture in 1996, uh, which was only eight years looking back on it after I'd been at Murray State. But I've been involved in administration in agriculture since 1996. 2000, we created the School of Agriculture. I was academic coordinator for four years and then 2004 became dean and that's where I've been since. I'm a senior dean at Murray State, not necessarily in age, but uh, deans usually don't last three or four years and I bet I'm, I haven't got this right yet. I'm still on, I'm on my 17th year. So uh, <laughs> we'll get you seem it. to be doing pretty well then. So <laughs> I guess it's the, the principle where people succeed to their highest level of capability. That's probably where I'm at. So, <laughs> so um, let's talk about uh, your opinion and what in your opinion is the biggest challenge in agriculture uh, right now? Well, I'm going to start with human capital uh, and that being uh, students. That's the reason I do what I do. Uh, I think the biggest challenge is we got fewer and fewer people coming from the farm. We got less and less public appreciation of agriculture. We got some just downright uh, un uneducated people that have a false, uh, false sense of uh, understanding about agriculture. They don't understand it. They don't understand that, uh, that we have the cheapest, safest, and uh, most abundant food supply anywhere in the world. Uh, and uh, that only happens because of the efficiency of the American farmer. As we have fewer and fewer people off the farm and people in the agriculture uh, uh, industry, we got to provide a, a, a living for them. And in my, in my estimation, that's education. So I'm going to start with education. It's important for us to take agriculture-related people and give them good, train them for good jobs to fill in the jobs of the future. Hopefully, some of them going back to the farm. I hate it when somebody says, I'm just a farmer. No, you are a farmer. You're the best top 2% in the United States. You're a farmer. If I could have farmed for a living, that's where I'd been. I have that much appreciation for agriculture. So that's one challenge. Certainly the ups and downs of weather and climate and market and all of that are certainly important. Pandemic obviously had a, had a, had a negative effect on agriculture, but yet the positive side of that is when they shut this food supply down or started talking about it, people had a different appreciation of agriculture. Uh, so uh, I think that's there. I think there's a lot of things on the horizon. I think uh, agrotechnology, I think we're either going to have to get on that boat or we're going to be left behind. And uh, right now it's a big uh, topic of interest in our state. And I hope we continue to make uh, uh, Kentucky the, the spotlight of agrotechnology in, uh, in, the, in the state of, of uh, Kentucky. And, and uh, I hope that we're, we're able to continue to drive this agriculture industry. You know, um, uh, Farmers are the salt of the earth and, um, and, and agriculture, we say, is our most important and most vital industry. We need to tell that story. And I think that's the biggest challenge that we have in agriculture is being able to tell a, a positive story. We're, we're not the bottom 2%. We're the top 2%. You know, a lot of young people look at it and say, well, that's too hard to work. But, uh, you know, uh, we, we want to be success. We want to we be, it's, a, it's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a stopping place. It's a journey and be involved in this journey of agriculture. And I know a lot of farmers that are, that, that are doing quite well. You know, we sometimes want to focus on the ones that are not doing uh, as well, but uh, we got to, you know, right now we got uh, the, some of the highest crop prices that we've had certainly in the last five years. 
and uh, a lot of people marketed too soon and they're lamenting over the fact of the money that they lost, but they still made above money and uh, above what it costs to produce. And my old marketing professor here at Murray State, who's still teaching here, by the way, Dr. Bill Payne, taught me and now uh, uh, he's teaching for me, uh, but he came here in the early 1970s and he had 10 common marketing uh, things then. And one of them was you can't go broke taking a profit. So uh, we got a lot of people taking a profit. Yeah, they may not have made as much as they could have if they'd have marketed or knew what the market was going to be, but they're making a good living. Well, that's, so I think things are positive in agriculture. Yes, of course. Um, so actually, before uh, we end here, I wanted to steer uh, this, this conversation to one more challenge, and it's one that is very thematic throughout this time uh, with covid um, is rural broadband. Uh, you, you talked about Congressman Comer, um, who has been big on rural broadband. So can you, can you maybe elaborate more on um, what you believe the advance, advancements our state's making and uh, some places maybe we're lagging? Absolutely. Uh, and that you're very astute. That is a big, big issue. And it's, it's never made, uh, uh, made it more clear than this pandemic that we're in. I'll address it from a couple of different ways. Number one, it is not only an agricultural need, but it's a society. Uh, and I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think agriculture is going to solve the rural broadband problem. I think that is a, I don't think the Ag Development Fund, if you spent every dollar of it in Kentucky, could solve that problem. I think it's a basic obligation of government to move us forward to provide that service and to provide that leadership. I know I serve on the Agri-Technology Committee of the Governor's Office of Ag Policy and and uh, one of the farmers that I, I really respect on there, Robbie Williams, he he, he doesn't have any, he, he can't get out internet out of his farm, but he's rigged together all this equipment to make his farm a hotspot. And he's figured it out, but we got to figure it out. Another uh, JT Payne, uh, one of our prize students that's now a teacher at Henderson County that was our SGA president, I was talking to him and we were talking about NTI in high schools. And and he he literally shook me in my boots when he said, Dr. Brandon, we got 10 or 20% of our students since they went on the non-traditional instruction that, that we've never heard from. They don't even have broadband. How can you teach something by virtual if you don't have that? I mean, do we're gonna keep sending paper packets home with everybody? No, we gotta have it. The pandemic has made it very, very clear. So I, I hope we get some government funding. You know, it's something to go to the mailbox or go to the bank account and get a $600 check from the government or to get a $1,200 check from the government. But we come to expect that we got good roads uh, to drive on. And if we don't have good roads, we repair them and make them bigger and make them safer. Uh, the, the rural broadband is a road. It's a road to the future. And we darn better we be setting it, uh, setting it up or we're going to be left behind as a society. And those people that don't have it right now are at a disadvantage. I mean, it's discriminatory. It is discriminatory in our rural areas that we don't have sufficient broadband to where our students can learn, to where our families can do commerce now. More and more commerce is going to be that way. You know, uh, Walmart just got into, had five patents on, uh, on, on food production. They're now going to be tracking. They're in a big competition with Amazon. Walmart's going to be in the fam uh, farming business. Uh, they're going to be tracking inputs on farm for safe products and everything. And how, how are you going to do that if you don't have access to, uh, if the, how are you going to track the farmer's crops if they don't have access to internet? So we're going to be looking at robotics. We're going to be looking at all these things. Drones, they all operate off technology. We got we to gotta move that forward. I totally agree. 
so that is all the questions I have. I've really enjoyed uh, today's discussion that we've had. Is there anything else you want to add to the listeners? Well, I just want to brag on you. And uh, I'm a product of FFA. I love to um, uh, to to uh, uh, brag on the FFA. I love to see the remnants of FFA. Uh, both of my sons uh, were the Kentucky State Star Farmers and uh, through FFA. And I know what a difference it made in their life. I've seen FFA from about every angle, and uh, including about 25, 28 years on the FFA Foundation. And it was neat to connect to you to see that something that we started as initiative when I was on the foundation board, the Shark Tank, uh, that you got your funding to start this blog uh, through that through FFA. That gives me a great source of pride and and uh, uh, satisfaction with FFA and what we're doing at the foundation to support young men like you, young ladies uh, in the program. And uh, you've got a bright future. And uh, we look forward to seeing what you're going to do in the future to keep uh, keep this tradition going. And, in uh, in agriculture, uh, people like me, uh, old, old old dudes like me, are on the end of our career. It's exciting to see bright, brilliant, uh, and uh, and hardworking people come to follow in our footsteps. Well, thank you, thank you, and um, thank you for joining us today. And it has been an absolute honor. Again, this was Dr. Tony Brandon, who is the dean of the School of Agriculture at Murray State. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Ag. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, and whatever else you may get your podcasts on. Make sure to subscribe and give us a rating. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Ag. You can see our website at www.beyondagpodcast.com. If you are interested in advertising with us, visit our website or email me at Isaiah at beyondagpodcast.com. That is I-S-A- I-A-H at beyondagpodcast.com.